What is actually going to fulfill my happiness bucket six months from now, a year from now, three years from now? If you don't spend any time thinking about it, then you'll end up looking for the shiniest penny in the interview process. And there's a good chance you'll end up in the wrong spot because you're asking the wrong questions. Welcome back to That Vet Life. The path to mentorship is rarely ever linear. This is one of the many takeaways I had after my conversation with today's guest, Dr. Dan Phillips. Dan is the Director for University Engagement with Mission Veterinary Partners. But more importantly, he is a mentor. One of the things that brings him joy is helping vet students and early career vets set and achieve their goals. But how did he come to this position and what inspired him to become a mentor in the first place? In today's episode, Dan shares his mentorship story and how the people in his life inspired, encouraged, and challenged him to achieve his own goals and how these experiences in turn inspired him to want to become a mentor. There's a lot to unpack in this episode, so let's dive in. We're here at, this is VLC. This is my first time at VLC. This is your first time at VLC. Mine too. Yeah. Yay, first time. And this is the first time we've actually met in person. Correct. Recorded a podcast in person. Correct. And we already know that we are both somewhat, maybe I'm more long-winded as we just realized, but before even recording this- We just tell this, good stories. That's yeah, all. We, we love good stories. And the reality is that before even recording this, we were chatting for, what was that, like 40 minutes almost? Yeah. And then we're like, you know what? We should record a podcast. <laughs> we should actually record <laughs> And or this. go back to the conference at some point. But right. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> there's like, there's something happening and- uh, some amount of time. No worries. I am just super, super excited about all of this because we were talking about mentorship, which is something that you and I are extremely passionate about. Yep. And being in this, it's just a mentorship rich environment. I feel like every single day I wake up and I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm excited to be around these people. Yeah. This is this is what I want this profession to have more of. And as we were talking about this, I've just been interacting with people in their mentorship stories. And so I know you have an interesting one. And honestly, anybody's mentorship story is interesting. So I just wanted to talk with you about what was specific in your story and how the people that mentored you from, I don't know, vet school and then into practice and then into now, because here you are, you're kind of part of heading up this huge mentorship scheme in the company that you're in. Yeah. And it's like, okay, how did you get to that? Yeah. Like you don't just go into mentorship. Nope. No. Not at all. No. It's a long story and it doesn't have a uh, a direct line. That's for sure. It's not linear by any stretch of the imagination. So I'll try to make it rational, I suppose. I think the most important part of the story is that my initial goal around halfway through vet school was that I wanted to be a surgeon. That was really what I was trying to do and trying to accomplish. And that that impacted the direction of my career for quite some time. So right after I graduated from vet school, I um, went into an internship at Tufts and loved it, learned so much and had an incredible clinical mentor there too. And that was really the first time that I had had someone like that, that was dedicated to be in my corner and made that Mm -hmm. effort to do that. Her name was Lillian Cornejo, and she's still the intern coordinator at Tufts and has been doing it for for forever. She's an incredible, incredible clinician and definitely a better person um, and better mentor for sure. And she definitely takes care of her interns. There's no doubt about that. That was really the first experience that I had with someone like that, that was kind of dedicating part of their career to my development. 
And at that time, it wasn't like you were set up like, because I feel like back at that time, it wasn't, mentorship wasn't talked about as much. Well, I'm not that old, but I'm not that young. (laughs) (laughs) But I mean, compared to what it has been in the last two or three years. So I graduated, you're right. So I graduated in 2011, um, started my internship in 2011 and went through 2012. And no, mentorship was not a was not a buzzword being thrown Mm -hmm. around either veterinary schools, veterinary colleges, or the profession, especially for new graduate veterinarians at the time. And she was just that person that was already doing it. And it just probably didn't have the term Mm -hmm. associated. So she was just like, she was your person, your go-to. She was the den mother of all the interns, basically. Like she was our mom, more (laughs) or less. And that's kind of kind of that relationship that everyone is looking for when you come out of school, right? Someone to be that clinical and hopefully professional development guiding force for you. And I learned a ton from her clinically, but I also made a couple of professional mistakes as I was getting burned out during my internship. And the most important things I learned from her were the more poignant personal conversations that we had at those moments when I was really being challenged. And the main challenges there were, and what impacted my career path next was that during that time and during veterinary school, I learned and developed that I had a true passion for surgery and really thought that if I stood in the surgery suite all day, every day for 30 years and listened to classic rock and tuned out everything else that I would be like happy as a clam and let my OCD just take over and it would be fine. But what I also learned was that if I was going to pursue that path, then needing to work 60, 80 hours a week at 25, 30,000 bucks a year for another three, four, five plus years to get there was probably going to end my marriage. And I think that's a whole nother topic of something that probably needs to be addressed in veterinary medicine, frankly, but that's on a whole nother story. But the reason that's important for context is because when I made the choice, roughly even a third halfway through my internship that I was not going to pursue a residency. So I didn't apply for residency programs because I knew that my personal life was not going to jive with continuing down that, that path. All I could really think about at the time, and this is why I started to make some professional mistakes Mm -hmm. as well, was that I wanted to be done with my internship. And that impacted my job search following that. And when that is your highest priority and you don't have any goals beyond not being in the current situation that you're in, regardless of whether that's because of burnout because of a toxic work environment, which which Tuss was not a toxic work environment. It was not. I don't want to, I don't want that to be the context, but working as much as we did for the compensation that we got, I could argue is, is unhealthy to be perfectly Mm -hmm. frank and honest. When that is your sole focus and that's the only goal that you can think about going into that next job search process, there's a really good chance that you are going to end up in the wrong job. And that's what happened to me. So... I started doing interviews in Chicago and um, interviewed at multiple different practices, met a lot of different employers along the way, and chose a great practice, a successful practice to go work at. 
and um, it had a lot of features that I was looking for. It was a 24-hour facility, but it was a non-tertiary care referral center. So it was a GP practice that had an ER associated with it and attached to it. They did a lot of advanced workups, kept a lot of things in-house, and it was really only super train wrecks that were referred out, basically. They were doing high-level orthopedics, and they had every toy and every bell and whistle in terms of a piece of equipment that you can imagine. They mm-hmm. had two dental suites who needs two dental suites in 2010, like not a ton of people, right? <laughs> like that's still pretty new concept yeah. now. They had two surgery suites. Like I was saying, they were doing a ton of, of orthopedics on a, on a, in a non-referral type setting, which, which again was, I think quite that's atypical pretty, yeah, that's at that time, quite atypical. They had a CT scanner, they had endoscopes. I mean, you name Fancy. it, they had every wow. toy that you can imagine. Right. And so I thought this was a great opportunity because I was like, well, this is a great opportunity to take many of the skills that I've learned and, and put them to use from the last year for my internship. And I thought I was going to be in a place where I could start to practice some pretty high-level medicine and push myself as well, right? Like if I work some of these ER shifts, then I get to cut the foreign body. I get to do the GDV. I get to take the spleen out because I'm the only person here, more or less. So I did kind of a blended role, which was great because I got to pursue a lot of those interests that I had, even though I didn't have extra diplomat letters behind my name and sidebar that's the other thing that that I wish I had learned more of either before vet school or during vet school is that there is so much excellent and advanced stuff that you can do as a general practitioner in any port of medicine that you are passionate mm-hmm. about, whether that's internal medicine, whether that's surgery, whether that's chemotherapy, whatever that is, whether that's advanced imaging, you can do a lot of stuff extremely well in general practice that they don't always tell you in the ivory tower. And so I wish I had known that too. Mm -hmm. And I learned that from a lot of great colleagues at that first job. But what was missing was really two things. The first thing that was missing was, was a dedicated person, even though it was a large practice with seven doctors, I did not have a dedicated mentor whatsoever. Like Mm -hmm. I did during my internship, internship, right? All I had was a group of people that were more or less willing to embrace me as part of the team, that was not a problem. But there wasn't anyone there that was devoted to my personal growth and development as a clinician, as a professional within that practice. That concept did not exist and was not part of the organizational structure of that. And at the time, I thought that that would still be okay because, hey, I've learned a lot from my internship and now it's time for me to like do this on my own, yeah. so and, to speak. Was that a question that you asked them when absolutely. you were inter- interviewing? No, absolutely okay. not. Another bad idea, right? Another lesson learned, again, that All I thought about was I need to be out of my internship. Not a good framework of questions to have when you go into an interview. Just not good enough. Mm -hmm. And so not only did I not have that, but I also made some incorrect assumptions as well. They were doing a ton of orthopedics at the practice. And so I assumed that that was going to be an opportunity for me to learn, to grow, to build that part of the practice. Turned out that the clinician there that was doing that had no interest in that whatsoever. And so that also was not an opportunity. So between those things and then the practice not being run, especially well from a business acumen perspective and a leadership perspective, I quickly ran into some walls of my development where my thought was if I showed up the earliest and stayed the latest and worked the hardest, more doors and opportunities were going to open within this practice for me. The truth is that was not the structure of the practice and I was irrationally stupid 
to and think the thing that. is, like, that's what we're told in vet school and before is like, if you want it bad enough and you work hard enough, you can make it happen. But it's not like, sure, maybe that works in some cases, but not in every case. And at what expense? Yeah. And I think the truth is some of that was my fault that I was in the wrong spot because I made incorrect assumptions and didn't ask some of those more poignant questions when I was in the interview process because I didn't know exactly what my goals were. Again, my goal was to start earning a real paycheck and to not be in my internship anymore. And did you have anybody outside of clinical work to go to to like feel these questions to or was it pretty much just you and your in your relationship? No, it was it was me and my ego and pride. Yeah. And so if I had asked during the interview process, hey, I'm interested in orthopedics. Would Dr. X be interested in mentoring me and growing this as part of the practice? Then they would have had the opportunity to either truthfully say yes or no, but at least I would have Mm -hmm. put it out on the table in the same way, hey, I'm interested in growing as a leader and maybe taking a medical director role in a couple of years for this practice or buying in as a partner in some way so that I have some skin in the game and a vote at the table. And again, they have the opportunity to either tell you the truth or or throw you a curve in their answer to that during the interview process but I didn't even give them the opportunity to answer the question because I didn't think about the right questions you're like I just want to get out of the internship this place looks great it looks like it looks like it has opportunity let's go for it you got it it's super shiny penny let's do this it's shinier than all the other pennies that I've seen and let's do it let's Mm -hmm. give it a shot and they're offering more money and compensation than some of the other pennies mm-hmm. that I interviewed with. So as that well. bucket looked pretty good. The bucket looked great. Yeah. Yeah. And four years later, I finally admitted to myself that I was in the wrong spot. And what brought you to that point, though? Yeah. So a couple of things. So it was clear much earlier on than the four year process that the orthopedic thing wasn't going to happen. I still had so much to learn from a soft tissue perspective that I was kind of okay with that because by that point, I felt really good with doing explorers, cutting foreign bodies, spleens, GDVs, all that kind of stuff. And so I felt I felt okay because clearly still my clinical skills and my surgical skills had grown. So I was okay there. But really the main barrier was I saw issues with how the practice was being run from an operational standpoint, from a mechanic standpoint, from a business acumen standpoint. And this is at this time someone that's completely veterinary business acumen ignorant and, and you can and still see it. For the rest of us that don't know what's business acumen. Yeah, so veterinary business acumen would be things like, are we charging appropriately and rationally? Are we treating our team members in a appropriate way such that we can compensate them appropriately? Are we scheduling our hours and our appointments in a rational way so that we can be a profitable business and work a normal number of hours? And it was crystal clear that the answer to the majority of those things was no. This was uh-huh. a family-run business that had been doing it that way and had been successful with it for several generations and so, or several decades, I yeah. should say. And so if it's not broken, don't fix it. But that doesn't also mean that it can't be much better. And when you see ways that it could be better and you try to make those suggestions and it just falls on deaf ears, it gets very, very frustrating and you feel like you're banging your head against the wall. So that was really the tipping point for me was I realized that I had met a ceiling in my career of where I could go because I didn't have anyone helping me along and opening doors for me and allowing me to grow. All I had were 
the time, energy, and effort that I could put into a practice and that was it. And at some point you need someone that is willing to open doors for you and provide opportunities for you to grow, to challenge Mm -hmm. you, to push you, and then to pick you up when you mess up a little bit, when you push yourself too far. Yeah. So you hit those, those end of those four years and you're like, that's it. Everything is culminating to this point. Sure. I need change. So like what happened after that? So what happened after that was I went back into the job market. Woohoo. Yeah. That's exciting. Exciting. (laughs) With more well-defined goals at this point, because, and again, it took me a long time to figure this out, but I knew I wanted to develop my orthopedic skills because I, I was still interested in it, but I still had none. And I had been out of school for almost five years now at this point, still interested in it, but can't say that I'm any better at it five years later than I was the day I graduated. Right. No good. And I also wanted an opportunity to have an impact with how the practice was run such that if I was in a situation like I was at my previous job, I could blame myself because if it needed to be changed and it wasn't changed, then it was at least I could hold myself accountable rather than just feeling helpless and banging your head against the wall. So that was my two goals that I had defined for myself. I wanted an opportunity to do orthopedics and I wanted a leadership opportunity when I went back into the job market. So started interviewing around and that was when my life and my career changed completely. When I met two people, part of the same organization that listened to those goals when I relayed them in, an, in the interview process and were the first ones to lay out, not just say, okay, but lay out the plan for what that could look like basically. That's awesome. Yeah. And so those two people are, are Dan Markwalder and Adam Conroy, and they were partners in a group of practices in the Northwest suburbs of Chicago. And I'll tell anybody that will listen that those two people changed the course of my career and my life for my family, for sure. So this was a pretty pivotal moment in your career. Oh, a hundred. This changed a hundred percent. The course of my career happiness of my career. And it's not to say that being a successful associate for 30 years is not a great career path for a ton of veterinarians. It absolutely is. I just found that I wasn't, my happiness and fulfillment bucket wasn't going to do that. And I needed something else and um, opportunity to be pushed and to be mentored clinically, but then also in terms of my professional development as well. And they were really the first since I had met Lillian Cornejo to offer to mentor me. So I joined their group of practices. I worked side by side, Adam Conroy, for about a year. And from him, I learned basically two different things. The first was how they wanted their practices run from the culture perspective. How are we going to treat each other as team members? How are we going to treat the clients? How are we going to treat the patients? That was his philosophy, and we talked about that constantly. And he also happens to be an orthopedic surgeon wizard as well. (laughs) You're like, yes, here we go. And in comparison to the other colleague that I'd worked with, who is also an amazing orthopedic surgeon, give him full credit, also an incredible surgeon, Adam, when I told him that I was interested in orthopedics, saw that as an opportunity to grow their practices, didn't feel threatened by that in any way. 
Now, just before we get on with the show, a quick word from our sponsor, which is the Thrive community from us here at Venex. If you're struggling with managing time, feeling like you're an imposter or burning out, then you need to make a change. The good news is you are not broken. You're not a bad fit for the profession. Much more likely you are missing some super important foundational skills no one is teaching at university. Skills that you will learn as part of our Vetex community. The Thrive Community is a race-accredited professional skills course where members receive training, toolkits, and one-to-one coaching to develop these skills. So join hundreds of other vets who've changed their careers for the better as a Thrive member. To learn more and find out if the class is a good fit for you, visit vetexinternational.com today. Now back to the show. So I hope you enjoyed part one. Now we're going to get back to part two of that Vet Life podcast. Over to you, Mo. And that's huge that one, you're able to have someone who was interested in teaching you and saying, hey, I can help you grow and develop rather than so you're able to recognize that. But also, like, how did that feel different to have someone be like, I want to see you succeed rather than "Ugh, you have to come and watch my surgeries? Yeah, it was completely refreshing and um it was a sacrifice still to do that on to make this choice on two levels. The first was that I ended up still taking a, we can get to it in just a minute, a base salary that was lower than what I was earning at the previous practice. So that was a concern and a risk like, hey, now I don't have any clients, right? I also have to drive yep. 45 minutes each direction to get outside of my non-compete for my Ugh. previous job. Which non-competes, that's something we could talk about for a while, I feel like. We but, can go down ooh. that rabbit hole later. Yep, um, another day. <laughs> episode 12 of the miniseries. <laughs> but it's not like I was forced into that contract. Yeah. Like I still signed the contract, right? But that's, again, a whole other story. But... I had no clients and I was taking a little bit of a lower base salary. And so, you know, I was worried that pro sal wise, I was not going to earn as much for my family as I was previously. Baby was on the way, like the whole, the whole nine yeah, years. The dynamics were we different just, we now. We just bought, the, when, we bought yeah. the house a year and a half before. Oh, gosh. Baby's on the way, you know, the whole nine yards, <laughs> right? Everything. And now I'm talking about, you know, doing an hour and a half worth of commuting every single day for this opportunity. But still, having that opportunity where someone was willing to pour into you and even open the doors was worthwhile to mm-hmm. try it. But it wasn't a golden platter, mama bird feeding the baby bird situation. It was still a you're going to earn it type of thing, mm-hmm. which I was totally fine with. Adam's orthopedic day was on the day that I was on the floor by myself. But he started cutting his surgeries at 6 o'clock in the morning. And he said, you can either set an alarm and get your ass out here or you can let the opportunity pass you by whichever one you want to do so i showed up and true to his word we scrubbed in together for the on the very first day we talked through and i memorized the procedure learned the procedure learned all the complications started doing the steps for him doing it side by side all that kind of stuff and within six months i was doing them myself that was that first opportunity that i had had to build that skill with someone beside me, pushing me, challenging me. But again, learning what mentorship is. It's a relationship between two people that have goals. His goal was to help grow their practice and their organization by adding this advanced skill that most other non-referral centers don't offer, frankly, and do a great job for their clients and their patients and do it well. 
and the opportunity for me was to explore a skill that I had always been interested in, but no one was willing to give me a shot, basically. And so in that initial interview, did you guys like sit down and define what your, uh, even if you didn't call it mentorship relationship, but sure. what that relationship was going to entail and what, I know they talked about that plan, Yeah. but did you really go into the nitty gritty to be like, no, we truly align on this topic? So we did, we did. We talked about what would the plan look like over the first year? You know, they came at it from the angle of this is what we can provide. This is what we're willing to do over the next year to help you get where you want to go does this align with what you want? Yes or no. And that's when I went back to my wife and said, this is the conversation that we need to have. This is the potential sacrifice that we're making in terms of compensation, distance, yada, yada, all that kind of stuff. And so, yeah, it was pretty well defined of what that would look like. And then simultaneously when, you know, we had discussed, Hey, I want a leadership opportunity as well. Again, they saw that as an opportunity as they are continuing to grow practices and we're looking for young leaders for those practices. But, you know, I don't have any leadership training of any mm-hmm. type. Like I went to undergrad, I went to vet school, did an internship. I've worked a lot for the last four years, but yeah, does it make until you now, like, probably the yeah. closest thing to being a leader was being the captain of my football team in high school, right? <laughs> like that's not exactly the same. Yeah, that's not, not the same not, thing. Not, nope. the, not the same thing. And so I think the really poignant part of that mentorship evolution for me over that first year was not just the time that I spent side by side with Adam every single day in the clinic, but then the sacrifice that Dan Markwalder made as well. At the time, I thought he was partnered in four different practices in Chicago. Turned out he was too humble to tell me he was a part of 15 of them total. Just a little bit of a difference in numbers. (laughs) But the point is, despite being a leader for 15 different hospitals and the CEO for 15 different hospitals, he still took an hour out of his week every single week to meet me at the Mickey D's right across from the practice that Adam and I were working at. And we, he went through with me all of the leadership development and professional development skills that I still don't think are part of a veterinary curriculum whatsoever, but are so critical emotional intelligence, communication styles, critical conversations, interview skills, team building, how to hire the right people, how to fire the wrong people, how to read a profit and loss statement, how to look at a production report, what good is in terms of your revenue and those types of things for a hospital, those basic metrics that I would say 95% of veterinarians are completely oblivious to. That is absolutely huge. I want people to really wrap their heads around the fact that we have basically a CEO. He's a busy guy. He's doesn't really have a spare minute to his day. And he didn't have to. And he didn't have to. He didn't have to, but he chose to help you grow and develop and carved out an hour of, you said a week? Yeah. For a year. For For an entire year. 50 hours that you had intentional conversations about how you were going to grow and develop as a veterinary professional, but also, so as an individual, but also what your impact could be in this profession. That is, that is insane. Yeah. And again, that year and those two people 100% changed the the course and the trajectory of my career, but also what I cared about and what I was passionate about too, because then they gave me an opportunity to lead one of their practices, which was 
Again, it's a two-way street. Why did they do that? Why did they put that time, energy, and effort into that? It doesn't have to be out of pure altruism. Mentorship does not have to be out of pure altruism. The mentor can get something out of the relationship as well, whether it's a feeling of professional fulfillment that, hey, I helped this individual get where they want to go, or can I get something out of this too? I've got a new practice that I'm building, I'm getting started, and I need a young, hungry rock star to get their ass in there and run this shit for me because I've got 15 other practices and I can't be in all these places at once. That is a good deal. Absolutely. It is a great deal. So I got that opportunity to lead a hospital. And they helped me from the background and with all the things that I did, right? And a lot of the stuff that I did wrong <laughs> over the f- course of that first couple wrong of years. versus growing opportunity. Yes, right? plenty of both. <laughs> um, <laughs> but one of the things that came out of that as we were building that hospital, kind of me as the you know, the forefront person for it and them definitely providing that, that continued mentorship growth support from the background was that one of the things they always talk about is you should always be mentoring someone and being mentored at the same time. And again, the opportunities that they gave me, I felt that I really wanted the opportunity to, to pass that on to somebody else because even though I didn't have certainly veterinary business acumen or professional leadership skills mastered at any point and probably never master it, but I was still very, very new at it. I did feel like I was in a good plane with my clinical development for sure. And, um, had both a, a blend of kind of academic approach from doing an academic internship while at the same time, a more practical approach from, from living in a GPER practice for four years immediately afterwards. So I started training our new graduate veterinarians for our organization, um, found that that was what I was really interested in, passionate about, and seeing them grow and develop and take all of the scrambled mess of information that they have in their brains, which is not prioritized in any way, shape, or form when you walk out of school. It's in there. You just don't know what matters, yes. and you just don't know how to prioritize <laughs> it. That's my feeling it about such it. such a jumble. And then you hit practice, and you're like, what do I do with this information? Yeah. And so... That's when I was started for the first time to be both in a mentee and a mentor role, right? I was still learning from Dan and Adam while at the same time taking on these new graduate clinicians and helping them grow. And really over the course of the next few years, as we grew the practice, we grew them through training, mentoring, and developing young veterinarians, new graduate veterinarians. And we found that if we did that and had true mentorship relationships with them, they stayed with our practices. So we didn't necessarily have a recruiting problem that was starting to develop across the country at that time. Again, this was five plus years ago, somewhere in that ballpark. And um, that's where I found that love and that passion for it. But then then realized that, that still I wanted more. Got the itch again mm-hmm. two or three years later and came to my mentors, Dan and Adam, with an idea, very nervous about it, to present it to him, that I wanted to start a company and do more with mentorship and training because I was really proud of what we were doing for our new graduate veterinarians. I could see them excelling. They were two or three years out and they were happy. They were fulfilled. They were earning a good income for themselves and their family. They weren't burnt out. They weren't working Mm -hmm. a million hours a week. I'm like, I don't know that we have this perfect, but we're doing okay here. And is that what was fulfilling for you was actually seeing them succeed? Yeah. What was fulfilling for me was seeing them succeed in a much straighter line than I had. That's big. Right. It took me four or five years to accidentally fall into that spot. And I wanted the opportunity to help 
those new graduates avoid the first four or five years that I had. Not that I didn't learn a ton from them, but would I have been farther along with my career? Would I have been happier? Would I have been more financially successful? Because it turned out that that first year that I worked for Dan and Adam, even though I had a lower base, I earned way more with zero clients because it was a well-run practice as well than I did after four years of trying to collect clients in a poorly run practice. So that's bonus Jonas on top of it. (laughs) But I wanted to see if there was a way that we could expand that impact in some way. And I wanted to start a company to do that. I wanted them to be involved with it, but I also needed their permission, so to speak, because I was working full time for them. And uh, that was nervous when I pitched that. I was nervous when I pitched that to them, didn't know exactly how they were going to respond. And like the true mentors that they were, they said they were all in. And not only did they support me in doing it, but they wanted to be my partners with me as well. And so we started that company together. And um, that's really kind of where the mentorship journey kind of really started to take off at that point. And I think that's what kind of got us aligned several years ago now, too. Yeah. (laughs) It's like, how did we connect? It was like some random thing on Instagram, but it was all focused around mentorship when all of this was taking off. Yeah. So I want to take us back and kind of speed up our timeline a little bit in the fact that so you graduated from vet school and you had a good mentor. Um, Granted, that person was also mentoring everybody else who was in the internship. Yeah. But you essentially kind of went through a dead period where you didn't have someone who was actively pouring into you. Correct. And I was trying to do it on my own. You were trying to do it on your own as well, which sure you can succeed a little bit, but not near as fast as if you had someone in your corner, someone who was there to say, you know what, let's take you to where you want to be and pass that. And challenge you. And challenge you. Exactly. And so- Set some goals, achieve some goals, and now we're going to set some new ones. Absolutely. And so now you launched into this, um, where you are now essentially, and you have not just this core group around you that you're finding ways to help them succeed. They're helping you grow and develop, but then you are now able to help other veterinary students and other new grads achieve what you have in past. And that is what is so freaking exciting to me. Yeah, I it's, love it. it's awesome. I mean, really where we're at now is we're now, Dan, Adam, and I are now part of an organization where we have not just four or five hospitals in Chicago, but 250 plus in 30 states across the country. And, and really the goal is to help align new graduate veterinarians with clinical mentors and hospitals that are committed to helping those new grads achieve their goals. It's really a multi-step process. And the first is helping those veterinarians, those new graduate veterinarians, think about what those goals are. That's where my four-year sojourn occurred was because I didn't have the right goals in mind. I didn't know what they were. And I think that's what's so, so critical now. And what I speak to veterinary students, new graduates all the time, what are your goals? What fulfills your happiness bucket? What is be specific about that. Where do you want to be six months from now, a year from now, and three years from now? And that's hard to think about Absolutely. when you're in vet school, right? Because like, take your fourth year, right? You're drowning. You're you paying, just want to graduate. You're paying tuition. You're working 14, 15, 16 hours a day in the hospital while paying someone to do that, which is also a unique phenomenon. <laughs> Sidebar. Sidebar. <laughs> I got to figure out how to study and pass this NAVLI 
and then I just need to get a job. Yeah. Right. Like that's the, and I need to get across the finish line and, and graduate. Right. Yeah. And, and it's walk. like these little tiny short term goals. Sure. But that's where and I feel like we can kind of wrap up this portion by basically. So everything that you learned in those years and actually getting introduced to your mentors and they are really what influenced how you now mentor. Oh, 100 percent. Because yeah. of just all of your past experiences so like you just said like one of the big things that you go through with your own mentees is how do you set goals and challenging them to do it but also teaching them how to do it so what are some of the other like if you had two other big points that you would want to share with veterinary students or early career veterinarians on the topic of mentorship yeah so I think taking time to prioritize setting those goals that are what we call SMART goals. A lot of people are, are familiar with that acronym. It's specific, measurable, achievable, realistic, time sensitive, or timely. Okay. And it's really, really important. A lot of new grads, when I ask them, what do they want or what is your goal when they're in the interview process going into the workforce for the first time, they'll say something like, I want to build my confidence. Okay. Okay. In what? <laughs> okay. And when? Yeah. And what does that mean? And what does that look like? I think the job of a good clinical mentor is to help frame that goal into a smart goal, something that's specific, something that's measurable, something that's mutually agreed upon. You tell me, Mariah, that you want to be a confident surgeon when you graduate from vet school. I'm going to tell you, okay? To me, that means that if you start with me on the 4th of July, that by Thanksgiving, you can do a spay in 20 minutes. And when you drop the pedicle, because you will once in a while, the only people that don't drop pedicles are liars or people that don't do surgeries. Those are the options that you know what to do. Do we agree upon that? It's a smart, tangible goal, right? This mm-hmm. is totally realistic. It's totally reasonable, totally achievable. And there's a timestamp on it so that we can work backwards from where you want to be to where we are right now. And how are we going to get there? And you can have those time points along the way to see like, right. are we achieving it? Do we need to extend our timeline? How do we improve on this? Right. And then hopefully if we get to that point by think by Halloween, we come to say, okay, what's next? Yes. That's the role of a clinical mentor. That's their job is to help do that, but it's only successful if you as the mentee can spend some time thinking about what matters to you in terms of those goals. I can't create those goals for you. If you don't spend time thinking about what is actually going to fulfill my happiness bucket six months from now, a year from now, three years from now, and they can change, they can evolve. But if you don't spend any time thinking about it, then you'll end up looking for the shiniest penny in the interview process. And there's a good chance you'll end up in the wrong spot because you're asking the wrong questions. Mm -hmm. So that's, I think I only have one pearl. That's it. (laughs) I think that pearl is fantastic. And oh my goodness, I know we align so much on this topic of mentorship. And I just love hearing what your story was. Because again, like a lot of people think, oh my gosh, I need a mentor straight out of school or else everything's just going to fall apart. And like for you, it took a little bit of time to find your right mentors. And to a degree, having that dry period, it developed you into who you are. So it wasn't good, bad. It was just different. And it was unique to you. So that would be a big thing that I would throw out to vet students and early career graduates that your story is going to be unique. Your own story of what mentorship means to you and what you need out of it is going to be different than the next person. But just taking ownership and actually advocating for that for yourself will be what sets you apart. And I think the other thing, that's a really good point. Like, you know, it will need to be tailored. It will need to be customized to, to what every person needs. You know, there's some people that to them mentorship looks like, I want you to scrub in with me for the first however many times that I do this spay. And then for other people, it's, I just need you to be in the building and everywhere in between. 
and I don't know why it always circles back to surgery, but it, it always <laughs> seems to for some reason. But like there's it's plenty a, of clinical pain point. Right. There's yeah. plenty of clinical mentorship opportunities for your first DK that walks in the door as yes. well. But I think the other thing that is important to realize that that probably I didn't understand and certainly didn't do a good job of when I was in school specifically is that as a general rule of thumb, veterinarians are yes people. They get into this profession to help their clients, help their patients, and they often get a lot of professional fulfillment out of helping other veterinarians as well. So if you will just proactively reach out and network with people when you're in school, there's a decent chance that you are going to find people that you're going to align with that are willing to help you define and achieve your goals. You have to be proactive in some way to help make that happen. I serendipitously fell into my mentorship opportunities, but I, I wasn't proactively networking. So you do have to put in that, that energy and that effort into it. There's an expense. Yeah. And there's an expense with that, but, and you got to be brave, put yourself out there. When, the, when a speaker comes to talk at your school, go down and shake your hand and introduce yourself and give them a business card. Like, do it. Be brave. What's the worst that's going to happen? What's the worst that's going to happen? They become a stranger for you. They're already a stranger. What does it possibly (laughs) matter? But what if they're the person that says, oh man, Mariah, I would really love to help you get where you want to go. And you can shoot me an email anytime that you want. Like the vast majority of veterinarians that are volunteering their time to come give a talk at a vet school are going to be the same people that are going to be willing to do that. Like that's just how the world goes round, right? (laughs) So like be brave, be bold, be proactive and network, set some goals and it'll change the the course of your career. And the other reason that I say that that's so, so critical and just to kind of wrap the whole story up is, you know, I told that story of how I chose the wrong shiny penny when I moved to Chicago the first time. The truth is in that group of pennies was Dan Markwalder and Adam Conroy's clinic. I interviewed with them the first time. I didn't take the job with them the first time for two reasons. The first was because their contract offered me 10000 less dollars at the time, and I was so broke coming out of my internship that all I could think of was 10000 bucks. And the second was because I didn't know what my goals were. Yeah. And I didn't ask the right questions. And I had that opportunity, and I would have had those two guys in my corner for four or five years longer than I have had. And I'm totally satisfied. I'm happy. I'm fulfilled with my career, and I'm so thankful to have them in my corner. But I also have a little bit of that bird in the back of my mind all the time where would I be now if I had been with them for 10 years rather than for five years and I had that opportunity but I missed it because I wasn't prepared for the interview process I didn't know what I want I didn't know my goals and I wasn't proactive about networking with the right people and to be fair maybe in that you needed those four years to really figure it out who never never know but Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Sure. Uh, all of our conversations, I'm always like, why are we always out of time? And why are we always over time? And, uh, but I want to give you a couple of minutes just to talk about like where you are, what you're doing, and then everything else we'll put in the show notes for everyone to read up on. Yeah, cool. Well, um, first of all, thanks for having me. It's always fun to sit down and talk with you. And it's been cool to do it live and in person for the first time since uh, I think we probably met right around COVID universe, more or less. And so unfortunately, that's been about two years now, but it is what it is. So yeah, so just over a year ago now, our group of practices and Dan Mark Walder and Adam Conroy and, and myself partnered our group of practices with MVP, which is Mission Veterinary Partners. 
Dan, Adam, and I each have kind of roles within the medical leadership now for the organization. And really our, our goal is to take that model of structured, goal-oriented mentorship that I was lucky enough to experience with them firsthand and multiply that and scale it across the country. So we've got about 250 hospitals and in 30 states across the country. And really the goal is to help align veterinarians with, especially new graduate veterinarians with hospitals and clinical mentors that are, are willing to dedicate the time to help them achieve their goals, refine their goals, help them achieve them, and then achieve their, their next ones in the same way that they were able to do for me. So that's really what it's all about. And we're really, really excited about the opportunity to do that on a much more impactful scale rather than a couple of hospitals in Chicago. We're now able to do that nationally. And it's super cool because then we get to interact with, with great people like you at cool conferences like this. So here we are. Absolutely. And there are big things coming from these guys. So I highly recommend that you go and check out all their information, which will be in the show notes. But until next time, guys, I hope you stick around for the bonus content that's coming. And we're going to deep dive a little bit more into Dan's story. But until next time, guys, see ya. And that's a wrap on today's episode of That Vet Life Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. Now, before you go, I have a quick request. Now, podcasts and communities, they grow the best and they grow the biggest when the members spread the word. So if you know someone who you think needs to hear this episode, or if you found value in this episode and want to share it, go ahead and share this with your friends. And also, don't forget to head over to vedexinternational.com and enroll in the VEDEX community for free to get access to a bonus version of this show. You'll also get some free swag and many, many other amazing benefits. Also, leaving a review of the show on iTunes would be greatly appreciated because, again, it just helps get the word out. But until next time, y'all, I hope you enjoyed this episode of That Fat Life.